The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Alright, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 73. It's Tuesday, November 28th. I know you guys are used to hearing from me on a Tuesday, but that's because I'm joined by a special guest on Fight Week. You may recognize him from the UFC cage or the Bellator cage, or maybe you've seen him at your local MMA promotion in your hometown. Professional mixed martial arts referee, Mr. Bobby Wambacher. Bobby, how you doing this Tuesday evening, my friend? Fantastic. And yourself? Not too bad. You know, got a lot going on. Moved into a new house, so everything's in a bit of a disarray. And then uh, well, got a kid on the way in January. So, you know. Heavens, you're, do- you're doing it all at once. All at once, man. The wife's in nesting mode. So I've, I've been spending uh, <laughs> every waking moment painting walls and building furniture and you name it. <laughs> but it, it's exciting. Nice. I'm, I'm, we're really excited. So. Just to give uh, the listeners a little bit of background who might not uh, have had any interaction with you, maybe they've seen you in the cage before, but uh, how long have you been a pro ref? I know you started with the UFC in 2016, if I have that right, And uh, but how long have you been doing this professionally? Uh, five years. Okay. Uh, I got started five years ago, a little, little over five years, about five and a half years, yeah. Okay, and I know you, uh, you're living out in Utah right now, Correct. Correct. Okay, and uh, you had been training with Jeremy Horn at one point. What's your what's your background with mixed martial arts in general? Uh, well, just like everybody else, I, I had uh, you know watched it and thought I could do it, and you know got together with all your buddies every time it came on back when it was once every month or once every other month, and you know you made a spectacle of it and barbecue mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And uh, then uh, my company had moved me around a lot, and one of the stops they put me in was in Hollywood. And um, for whatever reason, I had gotten a uh, flyer for Herb Dean's uh, course. And I thought, oh, I could do that later on. Who knows when? And then uh, they moved me to Salt Lake City, and I started training at Jeremy's gym. And uh, and my my favorite fighter of all time is Matt Hughes. And obviously him him and Jeremy are are trained together with Militich uh, fighting system and all that stuff. So I went down there and, and... was training and then uh, had a cyst on my shoulder blade and got it removed. And uh, I don't, I don't take medicine, so uh, I didn't take the antibiotics that uh, mm. they had prescribed, and it got infected, so they had to reopen it and leave it open. And uh, so they said I couldn't roll or grapple or anything for six months, Ugh. and uh, th- that didn't sit well. So I thought I got to figure out something to stay in the sport. Okay. And I remember the flyer, pulled it out, and within a couple months, I was on a plane to Pasadena and uh, took my first referee course. Okay. And I imagine there has to be some kind of hands-on aspect to the referee training. So were you able to accomplish that with the injury, or did you have to put that part off? Uh, That part actually put off a little bit, and I actually, that's the reason why I failed his course the first time. Okay. Okay. you know, it's, it's very expensive to take the courses, and I, I went in, and I didn't know there was a, a practical part to it or anything. Sure. I just went in, and, you know, I knew the rules, and I knew the processes, and, 
And uh, so day one, I, I did really well, flying colors through mm-hmm. all that. Well, then day two rolled around and there was mats on the ground. And uh, I'm like, well, I, I can't <laughs> really do that. And uh, so I failed because of that. Uh, okay. Eventually, I've passed seven of them since. And it, I have went back and uh, passed herbs as well. So, uh, yeah. But everybody that thinks you can just go do it, it's very challenging and it's very low pass rate. Uh, because you, you do got to be able to apply every hold that's done in the cage. And you got to know. You know where the pressure points are, where, why it, it it's effective, and where you know where the pain is, and then most importantly, as a referee, you got to know how to disassemble it. Mm-hmm. You know, as an armbar, where where do you push your put your pressure? Where do you lift? Where do you push down? Uh, you got to do it at the same time, or you could further the injury and stuff like that. Things that people don't think about just sitting on the couch. So. Yeah, or even people who train. You know, if you know how to do an armbar, maybe you don't know how to stop somebody else from doing it as a third party. So yeah, sure. I, I imagine it is a very intricate process as it should be. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's easy to armchair quarterback and, and kind of judge <laughs> from the outside, which brings me to my next question. It's kind of a thankless job. And it's the kind of thing where you're only being noticed really when something goes wrong for the most part. So what is it about this particular role that made you want to do it? Uh, for me, it was fighter safety. You know, that, that's, uh, that's the whole purpose of what I do in there. Um, mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. It, it is. There's no uh, headlines for the referee. There, there's nothing for us. Yeah. Uh, and I tell everybody in my group rules meeting, 50% of the people standing here aren't going to like me for whatever reason. And, and you're going to lose a fight, and it's going to be my fault. You know, the, why, I don't know, but it's absolutely my fault. And, um, you know, the, the best night for a referee is the one where nobody notices you because you didn't have to get involved and the fights played out the way they were supposed to. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's, uh, you know, not, not for the, the glitz and glamor. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure when the fighters are appreciative and I know this from guys I've trained with and things like that, it's usually behind the scenes after the fact, because you know, there's a lot of ego involved. So when you lose, you have to put on a big spectacle, like you're upset with a stoppage or something like that. But then they usually kind of come down and that's when the cameras are off and, and it's usually in a private setting. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of fighters that, you know, whenever they see that I'm reffing their fights, they'll come up to me and say, man, I'm glad you'll be in the cage with me. You know, so there, there are fighters that are very appreciative of knowing that they've, they've got a, a, a um, competent official um, uh-huh. because, you know, they're, they're, then their job, you know, they can focus on fighting and don't have to worry about anything else. So, you know, there are a lot of fighters that are very grateful for, for the officials. Awesome. And you just keep setting me up with the segues here because my next question is how far in advance do you know who you're going to be refing on the fight? And then likewise, how far in advance do the fighters know who the referee is going to be? Um, like for the, the next, this UFC this weekend, I'll know Saturday whenever I get to the arena. Okay. Um, the, the fighters will know whenever they arrive at the arena and I've got to go and talk to everybody that I'm, I'm going to be in the cage with. So they'll find out at that point um and it's for good reason you know if if i knew two months in advance you know people then could say well you know that there's collusion or there's this that and the other if i don't know and you don't know right you know i know hours before the event and that's when you know so sure but are you still able to so are you the type of person that puts in prep work anyway do you look up and down the card and go and watch tape and maybe 
look for tendencies if guys are known for grabbing the cage or anything like that or would you rather just look at it with a blank slate just get in there and look at it objectively every time no i actually do homework uh like i i will have reviewed everybody's records how they've won how they've lost um you know uh most of the people on the fight card i've i've seen fight um and i've been in there with a couple of them so you know um you know, I will review it and make sure that I know, you know, if they're like a leg lock specialist, if you're in there with, you know, Paul Harris, you, you got to know he's a leg lock guy. Uh, it, little things like that that w- help a official, you know, be in the right position and, and again, protect the fighter. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do my homework and I'll, I'll know what's uh, going on with, uh, I think it's 26 fighters and then, uh, you know, whatever ones I get, I'll be ready. Yeah, I mean, if you're refing a Paul Harris fight, I imagine you're going to practice your uh, heel hook disassemblyment as well. Right. <laughs> we were talking <laughs> earlier about how you have to know how to disassemble <laughs> submissions as well as know how they're executed in order to be an efficient referee. Uh, so it, speaking of being an efficient referee, ha- how many warnings do you typically give before you deduct a point? Because I know this is something that kind of varies uh, per ref, and then what's the foul that you would be most likely to deduct a point for? Okay. Uh, well, it, it, as far as how many warnings goes, it depends on the, the intent. Uh-huh. It depends on, uh, how bad it is. You know, if, if someone gets kicked in the groin and they're down for four and a half minutes and, you know, then they get up and they get kicked in the groin again, you know, you're going to be more apt to take a point. You won't always do that. You know, uh-huh. it depends on the situation. Um, so there is no set rule on how many warnings you give. It's more on the situation. Now, the one that I will take a point from, and I tell everybody in the back, and I'll, you know, at the UFC, I'll do the same thing, and I'll give a, the the fighters a heads up. Is, you know, if they grab the cage, and they would have, you know, been they were in the process of being scooped up or double legged or whatever, and had they not grabbed the cage, it would have ended up on their back. Uh-huh. But they stand on their feet because they grab the cage. Then I'll take a point immediately for that um, because that, that they should have been on the ground. And and I can't call timeout and put them on the ground. Right. So I got to level the the playing field, and that that's how I do that with the the points. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a fair way to go about it because at that level, these guys are training against cages all the time. They should be practicing not grabbing them. So you made it Correct. to the UFC. You spent plenty of time around a cage, and you know you're supposed to keep your hands off of it. Um, so I know you have some experience as a judge as well. Is that correct? That is correct. I've passed all the judge courses. I've passed Herb Dean's judge course. I've passed all seven of them. So, okay, cool. So when you're refing a fight, are you kind of scoring it in your head? Do you kind of know how it's going to go down with the judges scorecards or are you only focusing on what's in front of you and not really thinking ahead like that? Um, I'm so focused that, you know, I've been asked several times, who do you think won the fight after the fight? And, Mm. you know, I, I don't know because I wasn't watching it objectively. I'm so focused on on what's going on, making sure there's no fouls, making sure that uh, you know everything's going the way it should go. You know, I there's no way I could score it now. If it's a landslide and the guy's been on top of him for you know four and a half minutes of the five, obviously that you can kind of you know deduct. But uh, in a normal fight, you know, I'm not even thinking about who's winning. I'm just worrying about being in the right position at all times and making sure that, uh, you know, nothing happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so judging another one of those thankless jobs where <laughs> I think maybe they're the only ones more so than you that get that, uh, will get, get the blame for 
for bad calls and get bad press and stuff like that. You only know a judge's name when they've messed something up. <laughs> That's right. Um, so there's obviously a lot of a, there's got to be a lot of adrenaline when you're in there. I mean, you're not in there fighting, but you're responsible for the safety of the two men or the two women who are fighting in there. So how do you kind of keep yourself composed? You know, is it is it just like anything else where it's the more you do it, the easier it gets, or is it still you know, the same kind of adrenaline rush every time you get in there. Oh, without a doubt, there's always an adrenaline rush. Adrenaline rush. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fight. The cage locks and, uh, you know, you got to keep some fighters safe. Um, however, you know, I've got over 2,500 fights. And in the beginning, you know, it was it was more difficult to control it because you don't know. You're just, it's unknown. Yeah. But at, at, over time and being in there so often and, seeing all the crazy stuff that has happened and you know while i've been in there and things you know now it's just you know there's obviously an adrenaline rush but it it's much more calm and and uh you know it's very methodical for me okay so after an exciting night of fights uh what do you kind of do to unwind because i know the the community is very tight-knit it's a it's a pretty small community if you think about it the mma community so if you want to go out after the fight or something, you're probably going to be running into fighters and coaches and things like that. Maybe that you've ref their fights. Do you try to avoid socializing with the fighters and coaches and things like that? Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find somewhere to eat that I don't believe anybody else will be. Sometimes there, you know, a fighter or a camp will come in there, but uh-huh. uh, that doesn't generally happen. And, and the reason is, is you don't want any uh, conflict of interest or anybody to say, Oh, I seen you with so and so that after the fight, and it was a controversial yeah. stoppage. So obviously, you you were working with him or whatever or her. So you know, I just try to remove myself from many of those situations. And uh, now, if there's other uh, referees or judges going out, I'll go hang out with them or go get something to eat. Uh, or if uh, my kids are there or something, but I do stay away from the fighters in the corners. Yeah, okay. That that would be the hardest part for me because I'm sure you're a fan of the sport, so. It, it's like oh here's all these fighters and it's it, it's such like a everybody's so excited from all, from the fight night and everything but you don't want to be taking a selfie with a fighter and then <laughs> two months down the road you're refing his fight or or one or a coach and you're refing one of his fighters and then somebody's posting that on instagram if you if you uh have an early stoppage or something like that so yeah i can, I can imagine you definitely want to avoid stuff like that right yeah, and it's crazy because I am a huge fan, and, and if I'm not in a cage somewhere, um, you know, somewhere, then I, I will catch it on TV just like everybody else and I watch. But, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is like I'll, I'll get to the, the back of the UFC and you'll have all the fighters in camps and, um, you know, it, it doesn't doesn't do anything to me at, the, at this point anymore. You know, I don't go up and ask for pictures. I don't shake their hands. I don't even talk to them unless I'm reffing their fights. Right. You know, they've got a job to do and I'm not going to interrupt them. I've got a job to do. And, you know, and it's different because as a fan, I remember going to um, UFCs in Vegas and, you know, you seeing the fighters in the, before I reffed and seeing the fighters in the lobby and you going up and getting a picture and, uh-huh. you know, shaking their hand, talking to them. Now that I run into them in the hall and, you know, I don't say anything or I say, Hey, or whatever. Or they may say, Hey, good job ref. And you're like, Hey, thanks. Uh-huh. Um, but it's very, very casual that I guess you wouldn't think that, uh, because yeah, yeah, you, you would think you'd be going crazy. Oh, there's, you know, Conor McGregor, there's, uh, you know, so they're just, they're just a fighter in, in what we do. And it's, uh, 
it, it's it's odd to, to explain, but yeah, that's that's the way it is. Yeah, I would imagine Conor McGregor not in the best of graces with the referees these days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> after his antics, um, well, I, I wasn't planning to ask you about this, but and I, I usually don't talk about this kind of drama and stuff. But what, what was your take on that situation when he jumped over the cage in Bellator over in Ireland? And do you think uh, Mark Goddard handled it appropriately, or would you I have think, handled it the uh, same way? I think Mark Goddard handled it absolutely flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people don't realize that that Mark was still assessing whether the fight was over or the round was over, and everybody can say, well, the guy was clearly knocked down or knocked out or whatever you want to say. However, as a referee, it, had that happened at five minutes and two seconds, then the fight's not over. Yeah. you got to give him his minute to recover and, you know, all that other stuff. And being a hometown crowd and, you know, how loud it was, you know, Mark was trying to assess what what was happening and, you know, what the right call was. And, you know, he was he's being very meticulous with it and doing what you're supposed to. And then you throw in all the chaos that happens behind him and then getting pushed and guys getting in his face. And through all of that, he's still evaluating whether or not the fight's over mm-hmm. or if the round's over. And that's what a lot of people don't don't realize is, you know, Mark handled that flawlessly. And, uh, you know. As another official, and I messaged him afterwards, and you know that's that's just as an official, that's that's what I would like to think I would do in that situation. I don't know because it was pretty heated, but yeah, I would like to think if that ever happened to me, I would do it exactly the way he did it. Yeah, for sure. Do you think um, maybe the fighters are? I mean, a lot of people want to see the fighters get treated better and get paid more and things like that. It's an ongoing debate and think like, and things like that. But in some regard, do you think they're having a little bit too much control? And I'll let you know where I'm going with this too. Uh, this past weekend, we had the UFC in Shanghai and Michael Bisping put his name in the hat to replace Anderson Silva in the main event. Three weeks after taking a pretty bad beating from George St. Pierre, uh, something that I thought was, uh, too quick of a turnaround and a lot of people don't know and you might know this better than i do bobby but the ufc is self-regulated overseas is that right correct correct so the ufc is the the sanctioning body that allowed him to fight three weeks after you know taking i don't know 20 unanswered elbows and so the the link here is that uh high profile fighters are able to dictate things like this and put themselves into dangerous situations. Uh, I thought it was irresponsible for Michael Bisbing to be sanctioned to fight this past weekend. Uh, what What's your thought on that situation? And what's a possible solution that we could potentially look at into uh, moving forward? You know, the, um, the way I, I see it, and it could be a little different is, First off, I think uh, we were just talking about the UFC in this this instance. Um, I believe that they put them through, you know, the tests necessary to determine whether he was available to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think for any second, regardless of who the sanctioning body is or what country it's in, I do not believe the UFC or any of the bigger promotions would put a fighter in a a risky spot that could go very sour for them. Uh-huh. Um, that you know, local promotion. You know, shady stuff like that could happen, but not at that level. I think, uh, you know, whatever, and I, I don't know, I, you know, I'm not privy to it. It's way above my pay grade. However, um, you know, I believe that they put him through the tests necessary to determine, you know, 
that he was available to fight and able to fight. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think if he any of those tests came back that he wouldn't have fought. And the reason why I say that is, you know, they pulled Mark Hunt from a card right. for safety issues. And he was the main event guy in in a card that, that he was obviously selling because of his name over there. Yeah. So that that tells me and should tell everybody they're not afraid to do something like that if the fighter safety is in question. So as far as the Bisping fight, I don't know. I've got no sources that tell me anything like that. But I, I'm positive that the UFC did their due diligence before they – uh, let him sign that contract. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, it was unfortunate, you know, seeing seeing him, you know, kind of get beat up by GSP and then uh, the knockout from Kelvin Gaslam. It, it seemed like uh, maybe it was too quick that he got back in there. And then uh, the UFC is also the, the sanctioning body that issued the medical suspensions, and Bisping was issued a 60-day suspension for the knockout that he suffered from Kelvin Gaslam while uh, – Gina Mazzani was given a 180-day suspension for, um, I guess, fracturing her toe. Uh, there seems to be, like, an imbalance there to me. I don't know if you want to speak on that or not, but it, it seems like the, the knockout, maybe, especially everything with we've seen lately. I mean, we had uh, the unfortunate circumstance with Tim Haig a couple of months ago, for example. Uh, it, it seems like the, the brain damage aspect should should be more of a priority than maybe a damaged limb. I don't, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't know if you want to speak on this at all, Bobby. Well, I know a lot of the commissions have a standard, you know, knockouts, 30 to 60 day suspension. Uh-huh. Um, the part with, and I, I don't know anything about the suspensions that happened. I haven't heard anything or mm-hmm. anything like that, but if there's a broken bone or a damaged limb, you got to take into consideration how long it takes before a orthopedic or whatever doctor would clear them to to even resume training yeah so that has to do with the suspension but i know a knockout typically uh is 30 or 60 days in in most states that i ref in yeah and the 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 commission will tell them that you get knocked out it's just a mandatory you know 30 or 60 days regardless so all right fair enough uh do you ever feel any pressure if uh if the crowd is getting kind of antsy during a fight like you know some crowds i'm sure i mean you've been in almost every state in the in the country, uh, refereeing, you know, some some areas more than others will get a, a little bit bored with maybe more of a grappling style match. Uh, do you ever feel any pressure for a stand up or let the crowd influence you at all, or or do you get like a little bit anxious when things like that happen? No, I don't. I don't allow the crowd to influence me because the, the fight's going to take place where the fight's going to take place, and it, it's not my responsibility nor my job to dictate that. That is the two fighters' job, mm-hmm. um, and and if it's a grappling fight and everybody wants to see a, a stand-up fight, you know, then you know that's too bad. But that's, I mean, that's where the fight goes, you know. And just like if there's grappling people in the crowd want to see that, and it's a, a kickboxing fight the whole time, mm-hmm. you know. So I understand that people get restless, and a lot of people want to see blood and knockouts and all that. But the greatest thing about our sport that I love is is how technical it actually is, and, and people don't give it enough credit. When it goes to the ground, you know, if if someone's not trained in jiu-jitsu or d- don't does not understand everything that's going on there, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of work going on, and there's a lot of energy exerted, and people are think they're just laying there. What I mean, if you don't know what's going on, it it could be boring to you. But from from a referee standpoint, you know, I'm watching the intricacies of 
the hip positioning and, and transitions and, you know, just preparing the, so I'm in the right position and making sure they're active. And so there's a lot going on that, that the a casual fan may not recognize it. That that's actually happening. Yeah. That's exactly the answer I was hoping to hear from you, Bobby, because I'm the opposite of most people. I, I like seeing the grappling matches and I like seeing those intricacies. And, you know, when most people are complaining like, Oh, he held him down the whole fight. I'm like, have, have you ever tried to hold down, a professional athlete that doesn't want to be held down it's not <laughs> it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do uh but you know some people want to see you know i guess more of a striking match but uh i but at the same time i i was a big fan of i don't know if you remember back in the pride days when they used to give the yellow cards for stalling and then the the fighters would get uh, money deducted from their purse if it was a, a boring fight and then both guys would go berserk because they didn't want to lose any more money uh right if, if this is something they brought back would you feel comfortable with that kind of responsibility and it, is it something that you would implement if you had the power to do so i think that influences the fight and i don't think that's the referee's position to influence a fight mm-hmm. um just like you'll hear some referees um at the 10 second 10 second clap you know to to in the round they'll say 10 seconds left you know i don't do that because i don't want to influence it if i say 10 seconds and then the guy all of a sudden just goes bananas and knocks the guy out well that's because i said 10 seconds and drew his attention to something that that's kind of my fault so um i wouldn't be a fan of it just because i don't want to dictate what happens in there yeah uh, i want the fighters to dictate that yeah you want to be a ghost in there um I, I i'm totally with you on that but you know, at the same time, the yellow cards were fun, but maybe we'll maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll just save those for fight pass and go back and watch the old watch the old pride cards. I was I was just watching a uh, Fedor Crow Cop the other day. That's one of my that's one of my favorite cards of all time. Um, so, uh, who who's some of your uh, fighters that are not active? Let's say non-active fighters. Uh, who are some of your fav- favorite fighters that you like to watch while you were? getting into this i know you mentioned matt hughes i won't ask you to name any active fighters obviously because you don't want to show any bias but like who who are the ones that kind of like inspired you to kind of get going in this and and even when you couldn't compete yourself inspired you to keep going and become a a referee sure you got matt hughes like i said uh he grew up about 30 miles or i grew up 30 miles from where he did and he's only uh like a year and a half two years older than me so uh obviously i was a huge follower of his um then, of course, you, you had to enjoy Chuck Liddell and, and Randy Couture back then. Yeah. And uh, you, know, you go back to the Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner fight. You know, I, I remember sitting in – I was in living in Colorado at that time. And I was sitting in the my, my living room, um, and we had people over. And I remember watching that fight and thinking, holy smokes. <laughs> and, you know, going back, you know – that changed everything essentially yeah. and you you and i didn't know it changed everything heck i didn't know the financial situation of anything i just remember thinking man that was the best fight i've seen yeah so <clears throat> obviously you got to throw them in the mix um you know so so that kind of be you know the ones that that you know ring a bell to me yeah for i mean i remember i remember where i was when i was watching that fight too and you just remember realizing you were watching something special. You didn't you didn't know it was gonna set off this avalanche. You know, at the time it was very like 
kind of siloed you know if people were into it they would be sharing like youtube videos or like i used to go and rent the tapes from blockbuster yeah <laughs> things like that <laughs> there wasn't too many ways it's not like today where you could have fight pass or there's a fight card you know, there's five fight cards a week that you can watch or you know there's a live event almost all, like every other day on fight pass it seems like i, I mean i'm sure you know you're right. doing you're doing the local circuits and things like that. Um, so let's get into uh, some more contemporary stuff. So big card coming up this weekend that kind of flew under the radar, in my opinion. We, you know, the the George St. Pierre comeback and everything else that's going on and the market's so saturated with all these fights like we've been talking about. But this card is incredible, top to bottom. If you look at the matchups here... Um, some really exciting fights. And I think a lot of people were bummed out uh, when Frankie Edgar was taken off the main event because of the injury. Um, And I'll include myself in that, but I think I'm one of the few people that's excited for this main event, this rematch between Aldo and Holloway, because I went back and rewatched the first fight and saw that I thought Aldo was winning the fight up until the third round uh, when the stoppage came. But in my, in my memory, I just think of it. I just remember the finish and I I didn't think about the buildup. So uh, what do you think about this card, uh, you know, being as objective as possible? When you look at this card as a fan, what's going through your head? Yeah, I have told everybody that is that I've been in interviews with this last week, and I'll tell all of the rest of them this week. This card has five fights on the main card that could headline any Fox Sports or Fight Night card. Um, you know, when I first was told about being assigned to it in September um, – the only fight that I knew was on there was the Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje fight. Uh-huh. And I thought, that's going to be the main event. That's that enough. That's going to be an <laughs> yeah. awesome main event. Uh-huh. It's not even the co-main event on this card. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, top to bottom on the pay-per-view portion is is every one of those fights is going to be exciting. I mean, man, you got the number one heavyweight contender fight. Uh, you, well, I believe it'll be the number one heavyweight contender fight. Um, then you be. got the title fight that was... You know, it was supposed to be Edgar, and, and I think they did a great job throwing uh, Aldo in and making it just as exciting as the Edgar fight would have been. And then you got, like I said, the Alvarez-Gaethje fight. I mean, holy crap. Yeah. And then then you got Cejudo and Pettis. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be a heck of a fight. And then you got, I think the opening fight on there is Watterson and Torres. And there's three female fights on this card. I mean, yeah. it's top to bottom. This thing has got some really good fights on it, and uh man if if you are a casual fan out there you definitely want to get this one yeah definitely and uh, and you know the ufc is not endorsing this show by any means but i (laughs) i will (laughs) i will second that you should definitely be purchasing this card uh i'm excited for the dracar close and david tamer fight i think that's gonna be a, a really wild one um so i mean you got fleece harrigan and courtney casey on the fight that's gonna be a heck of a fight yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I don't want to miss a single one of these on here. I, <laughs> I, I definitely don't envy you having to work that night, Bobby, because <laughs> I'm gonna be. <laughs> I'm just gonna be, you know, in my living room, like ready to go as soon as this thing kicks off at six o'clock or, or whatever time it is. Um, so and then uh, we got Angela Magana in there too, and uh, <laughs> she's fighting Cooper, I believe. Correct? Yeah, Amanda Bobby yeah. Cooper, who, um. I, I don't know what their plan is with Angela Magana. I think I, my theory, I was talking about this on the show last week, 
is that she's just like built in promotion for the company because she's you know out there causing drama and like taking racy pictures and things like that she's you know if you're if you're a promoter she's the kind of person you want to have in your stable you know whether she could perform or not is kind of irrelevant you know people are going to tune in whether they want to see her win or lose uh that's that's kind of uh it's kind of the role she's fallen into here all right so uh what's your typical routine like when are you gonna get to detroit uh what's fight week kind of looking like for you uh well for me fight week starts out and i i do a lot of the uh tape reviews Mm -hmm. and you know i check out the stats and stuff and reason reason I wait till fight week is because the card could change. Yeah. Um, typically, you get to fight week, and if the fight's going to happen, it, it it's that's going to be the fight. Because if something happens, they're probably going to scrap the fight. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what my first four days consists of when I when I'm thinking fights, and then uh, I arrive. Uh, I leave Salt Lake uh, Friday morning, mm-hmm. um, but Detroit's two hours up on me, of course. So I get in um, in the afternoon. Um, and then, uh, I've got a couple interviews there Friday night and then Saturday morning, I've got an interview. Um, and then, uh, I know that the fights start on the fight pass. I believe it's three fifteen uh, California time, six uh-huh. fifteen Eastern time. Um, so I know that I'll, I'll be at the arena, you know, probably around two or three, um, their time, Eastern time. Uh, talk to the fighters and uh, make sure that everything's good to go. Go through my rules with them, and uh, you know, then uh, when the lights go on and the cage door shuts, I'll be ready. Awesome. How long does that usually take when you when you start talking to the fighters? You got to go through. Uh, I, I don't know how many matches you you typically have on on a given card. Uh, typically, it'll be three. Okay. Um, typically, um, when you're doing a UFC, they they have four referees and typically twelve fights. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's typically how it goes um so you usually got three fights uh three or four fights and uh you'll you'll go talk to each fighter that you got and you'll go through the rules and make sure that they don't have any questions um make sure you cover the new rules and make sure they have a full understanding of what a down fighter is you know what the extended fingers mean Mm um you know how does tap out you know if you know i'll go through the cage thing you know if you grab the cage would have ended up i'll take a point immediately um you know, there's no coach or no fighter that if I take a point immediately can say, I didn't know that was going to happen. Right. Now, the fans can go bananas and say, oh, well, that was early or you shouldn't have done that. But uh, the fighters in the corners, they know what's going to happen. So, yeah. um, you know, I usually spend five to ten minutes with each fighter. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to hear my voice. And, and I, I stress that at the local level because in the local fights, you do a group rules meeting. You mm-hmm. know, everybody's there. You circled around and you talk and you go through all the rules. Um but what I do at the local level as well is the same thing as the UFC is I go talk to each fighter that I'm in the cage with individually. Yeah. And and the reason being for me is I want them to hear my voice. I want them to be able to hear me so that when there's a 500 or 10,000 people screaming, they can still detect my voice out of everybody else's. And, uh, you know, that's, that's important for me. So uh, that's kind of my routine I go through with each fighter. Um, and obviously I give them an opportunity to – um, ask anything, and then I, I let them know as well. If there's something controversial or something you don't agree with, you know, don't don't be theatrical in the cage. You know, let me know you want to talk to me, and I'll, I'll go back to the back if I'm not in the next fight, and I'll talk to them in their corner and explain what I seen, why I did what I did, and make sure they understand. Uh, you know, it's their livelihood; they deserve that. So yeah, 
and, and like we said earlier, I'm sure there are there are guys and, and girls too who will put on the theatrics just to kind of build up, you know, make people want to watch them again. And then the, when they're in the back, it's a it's a different song and dance. I'm sure, right? Absolutely. And again, it's easier to blame the ref for for losing and not uh, themselves. And uh, you know, I I'm used to it, so I I don't it didn't doesn't even phase me anymore. Yeah. Uh, I get to the back and they say, oh, you know, I was just mad or whatever. Hey, I get it. You're emotionely charged. It's your livelihood. Get it. No mm-hmm. no worries on my end. Yeah, absolutely. And that that brings me to something I've heard you talk about uh, in, in other interviews, I think. And that's when a fighter turns their back on their opponent. And I've been a big advocate of this for a long time. When you turn your back, that's basically like a tap out in my book. It, it's it, your body language is saying whether you intended to or not that you don't want to fight anymore and you're putting yourself in a really dangerous situation. So what's your immediate thought when a fighter turns their back? Are you ready to jump in there immediately? Do you, do you have like a certain amount of time you want to give it? What's the, what's your tactic when that happens? Sure. I I warn everybody in the back that that is timidity, which is a foul. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't turn your back And, and it happens a lot in amateur fights. Um, so in an amateur fight, I'll be quicker to jump in there. But I, you know, if someone turns their back, I'll immediately get be very vocal. I'm a very vocal referee, so you know, everybody, all the fighters understand exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing because I, they can't say they didn't hear me or didn't know. Um, so if somebody turns their back, I guess it depends on the situation. If someone's in a bad way and they turn their back to sprint or whatever to, to position to get out of there, and then they circle back and, and face back up or square up, then then that's I understand that. But if they're turning their back and running around the cage trying to get out, then that, I'm stopping the fight. Uh, to me, that's a submission. They, they don't want to be in there any longer, and they're looking for a way out. Um, and, and that's happened. I've, I've stopped fights for that. Uh, but typically, you'll, you'll warn them and say, you know, don't turn your back, and they'll immediately register, oh, crap, okay, and they'll, they'll turn back around and, and get back in the fight. And if they don't, again, they're telling you they don't want to be in there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because whenever that happens, I find myself yelling at my TV like, "Stop, stop the fight! Don't <laughs> this guy doesn't want to be in there anymore." Uh, you know, it's it's not the most honorable way to go out, but you know, you, like you said, fighter safety has to be priority. Um, so, do you have anything else you want to get off your chest? Do you have any uh, any shout outs you want to let people know where to find you on social media? Yeah, you know, you can find me at on Facebook. Uh, my fan page is MMA Referee Bobby Wambacher. Um, I will be putting live updates from the from Detroit there. Uh, once I get my assignment Saturday, I'll post them there as well. Um, but I do a lot of uh, stuff, uh, fight stuff on my fan page, and then uh, on my fan page, you'll also see some of the the things that I support charity wise. Uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of Fighting for Autism. Um, you know, and then the the Lane Logan Memorial, uh, that's a newer one for me. Uh, what they do is they p- provide uh, service dogs for uh, soldiers that return home with PTSD. Okay. So that's a, a big one for me. Um, then I do stuff with kids with cancer and then the Boys and Girls Club. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, giving my time and donating when I can um, to these causes. And uh, obviously... You know, if anybody wants to to help those causes, you know, shoot me a message and I'll direct you to the right place to go. 
Um, then you can also find me on Instagram at referee underscore Bobby underscore Wambacher. And that, that's where I'm at. at. Twitter is at Bobby Wambacher. So I'm okay. newer to Twitter. So. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get those Twitter numbers up there then. So that's Wambacher, W-O-M-B-A-C-H-E-R. For those of you trying to figure out how to spell it out there. Uh <laughs> And uh, if you have the means, definitely get on there and check out those charities. They all sound like really great causes. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking, this is the best time of year to give around the holidays. So if you're looking for that charity to get into, then check out Bobby Wambacher's Facebook page. Bobby, <laughs> I appreciate you making time to, on Fight Week to uh, come on chat with me. So if you got nothing else, um, that's it. Thanks for coming on, my man. All right. If you ever uh, want to have me on again, just let me know if you have questions or anything. Uh let me know, and I'll get back on with you. Absolutely. All right. Bobby Wambacher, everybody. Go follow him on social media. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>